0: Well, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Failure Piece Theater, uh, a sort of special episode, and an end-of-the-year, beginning-of-the-new-year episode of Failure Piece, where instead of looking back into cinematics, uh, the, the cinematic failures of history, which is what we typically do here, we're going to look at one that might be occurring in real time. And that, of course, is the Direct to HBO Max, direct Mm -hmm. to streaming slash theatrical release of Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman 1984, or WW84, if we want to use the stylized poster version. And uh, we're going to discuss this film, which may very well classify as a cinematic disaster in the making. But uh, we shall see, we'll we'll discuss it, see if we can figure out where this one lands. Uh, So as always, I am your amiable co-host, Tim, and joining me is...
1: Catherine!
0: My sister, and we are going to at least attempt to unravel the perplexing mystery that is Wonder Woman 84. Uh, So I'll let you start off, Catherine. What is your connection to the DC extended universe, i.e. the Wonder Woman universe? Other than think?
1: hating it? Uh, <laughs> my connection is, it's mostly hatred at this point. Um, yeah,
0: I, I guess we can run down our, our sort of shared history here. Um, you know, we both love, I, I think, I, I feel comfortable saying we both love uh, the older DC films. Uh, I think that. Uh, I I am certainly happy to say that uh, the early Superman films, the Donner Superman films are some of my favorites. Um, We've obviously done Brian Singer's Superman on this podcast already. Um, So I have a lot of affection for DC characters. I have a huge stack of comic books sitting next to me that I purchased over the break um, and they are 99% DC comics. Um, So, what what happened
1: um well i am I'm a tremendous d c comics fan, and you would think that I would be more invested in their visual media um given that I primarily buy comics from d c if I buy comics at all yeah. <clears throat> um, i I can't stand the t v shows even.
0: yeah we've talked about that before
1: my my biggest issue is is the production value is not there and that upsets me because i know dc has the money they're just spending it stupidly um i feel like the shows could be better and i feel like the movies are just abysmal and i am shocked at what people are willing to say is a good comic book movie um You know, I'm also not someone who sings the praises of every Marvel movie that comes out either. Right. But boy, DC just struggles. And this is the ultimate in struggles. This is a struggle film (laughs) for me.
0: Yeah, it feels um, sort of torn apart at the seams. And the moment you start tugging on any of the threads in this movie, it just kind of totally unravels. Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's... it is Weezer's the sweater song in in film form. Uh it's just you pull one thing and it just falls apart. Um I think we're probably gonna differ a little bit in in our levels of of you know disdain. I'm certainly not pro this movie. I think it's a it's kind of a giant meh for me at this point, but uh I, I'm sure we'll we'll get there. But so my, let's kind of... Uh, go ahead.
1: Well, my, my biggest thing with, with Wonder Woman and, and Supergirl and Black Widow or really any kind of you know girl power comic book, anything, anything any kind of undertaking, is that it feels, it, it feels very pandering to me. It feels very um, corporate in its approach, and so I have a hard time investing in these stories to begin with so you know I do have to be upfront about that
0: yeah and I I think that's one of the reasons why people were excited initially you know Marvel for all of its flaws has made serious attempts to diversify its stable of directors bring in new voices Uh, it is is definitely been it has not been as as total as it should be uh, obviously we've got like Taika Waititi um, we've got Ryan Coogler in the Marvel universe and so when Patty Jenkins who is an incredibly well-respected director um, who quite frankly has not gotten a lot of work in Hollywood uh, in, a, you know, in a way that I would say is pretty un- undeniably wrong uh, you know she came out with uh, Monstrous Ball that was huge uh, obviously a great Charlie's throne role and then sort of struggled to find work despite having uh, you know this incredible body of work behind her and so when she came back to wonder woman and you know was able to sync up with a character that theoretically would really play to her sensibilities people got excited and i know We'll talk about Wonder Woman 1 here in a bit because I I think we need to discuss that film for context on this one because it established, I think, a a whole bunch of preconceived notions about what Wonder Woman stories are going to look like with this character, this version of it. But really, we need to discuss first before we get to Jenkins' version of this character where Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman came from. So the arguably the DC cinematic universe begins with Man of Steel uh, and they the suck. reintroduction of Henry Cavill as Superman. Um, Man of Steel, I, I have watched that film several times in the intervening years and I have become a bit of an apologist for Man of Steel. I, I do not think it is a great film. I think it's an incredibly problematic movie for a whole bunch of reasons. But at the very least, after watching it a few times, I kind of see where they were going with it. Um, I unequivocally love the Kryptonian stuff at the beginning. All of that shit is great. Russell Crowe is awesome. You love Russell Crowe. I love Russell Crowe as badass space scientist mm-hmm. Jorel, who, even though he was genetically raised to be a space scientist, is capable of beating the shit out of every... <laughs> space mercenary general guy that kryptonian gets thrown at him it's kryptonian space science.
1: Aspians,
0: exactly you know in between understanding the, the deep genetic code housed in the monkey skull at the center of his planet's core mm-hmm. he is also an incredible badass oh, um i i love i do but i just i love it because it's so out there and it's so weird and that's exactly what krypton should be um but even, you know, a lot of the things that were memed out of that film, you know, Kevin Costner telling Superman, maybe you should let a bus full of kids drown. <laughs> like, you know, all this the stuff that got memed out of the movie. The destruction
1: was so funny. When I, yes, it's, when I watched it's that intense. with my husband, I, I know I've, I've told you this, but I sat down and I calculated the destruction in the film. Mm. Um, monetarily and in terms of, you know, human lives lost. And I'm like, Superman is responsible for the deaths of millions at this point. And that just seems so contrary to his message.
0: Yeah. And and their their insistence that it's Superman in development doesn't work for that. Because you're pretty much going to sour the entire universe to your existence if all they can think of is my grandma died when you (laughs) killed that guy. You (laughs) You knocked
1: over a building Um, and my parents were inside.
0: And it's so easy. I mean, that's the other thing is DC's choices in their films, this film included, Wonder Woman 84 included, are sometimes just baffling because that entire situation could have been saved by simply not having the final battle take place in Metropolis. Or at least not entirely. Maybe it starts there. Um, you know, I, maybe I Superman
1: do, goes to one of those cornfields he was a big fan of as a kid. It,
0: you know, it, it just there's it's choices, right? And they do tie it back. You know, in the next film, Batman v Superman: colon Dawn of Justice. I refuse to refer to it by any other name. Um, they do show that that destruction had a direct connection to Batman, and that sort of sets off their feud and their rivalry, and, and that kind of stuff is is fine and good. But except that it's. <laughs> you know, it, at least it gave it some context and purpose. But yes, the so Man of Steel happens, kicks off this new universe, pushed forward by Zack Snyder and his very brown, very gray view of the world. Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice occurs. And now because they've had a minor hit, you know, Man of Steel was not huge, but it did okay. They have to push forward, right? They don't have the Batman films anymore that Christopher Nolan was putting out there. All that stuff's done and they need to, to go in a new direction. And so the second film in that series was meant to try in one film to kickstart the entire universe by introducing our, our other you know key characters from the triumvirate, right? From the, the big three of the DC universe. And so we were introduced in that film, however briefly, to Gal Gadot as Diana Prince also known as Wonder Woman. Mm. Um, she's introduced as a sort of glamorous uh, socialite who's there for a party, mm-hmm. um, but is also investigating some things, right? It's, it, it's the hammiest and sort of silliest kind of it, rapid universe building that you can possibly do, but that's where she comes from. So Gal Gadot and, and the, the sort of take on Wonder Woman that Patty Jenkins was handed was defined by Zack Snyder. And that in and of itself, I think, is a weakness in this version because Zack Snyder um, really as a filmmaker, only cares about a couple of things. And the main one of those things is how does my shit look on screen? Um, what is the what is the, the visual that's being portrayed here? And so I as much as I think Gal Gadot does a good job as Wonder Woman, unfortunately, I think she was hired because she had the look and not necessarily because she had the acting ability to portray a character who is thousands of years old a demigod um and connected honest, to humanity I think I think but
1: Linda not Linda Carter is about the same you know she was hired because she looked the part Yeah, she wasn't a mm-hmm. tremendous actress or anything
0: no but she had time with the character to grow into one and at least create a character that people sort of fell in love with. But it, it, honestly, if you go back and watch the early Wonder Woman episodes, yeah, they're yeah. they're not good. I mean, all of those 70s superhero attempts were problematic at best. But anyway, this is nothing against Gal Gadot. I don't think that this is her fault. I, I think she was just hired for a different set of parameters that really didn't have a lot to do with can you create a complicated superhero character on screen and not that wonder woman has to be complicated right none of the dc characters have to be complicated but the world that they've built for them they keep telling us over and over again that they're complicated right like superman can't just be the good boy from kansas who stops bank robbers he's conflicted and dangerous yeah. and could turn at any moment right and and yeah. so if that's the world that you want these characters to inhabit you need actors who are capable of dealing with that um in whatever capacity you're going to throw at them and i don't think gal Gadot is there yeah. uh, i think that if you keep giving her these chances which i hope they do i i don't want to see her be stripped of this character i don't think that's that's the right move but uh, uh, we need to see some more out of her, but I to be honest, like to there's not a lot here in this movie the, for her to do. Less
1: of the conflicted hero. I, I'd like to see less of that. Um, it works for Batman. I blame Batman. I blame DC's pivot it, to the. This is Christopher hero Nolan's fault, yeah. Because like, yeah. there's. I'm a huge. I mean, you know about me and Batman. I'm a huge fan. Um <laughs>
0: it's,
1: yeah. it's it's you know weird at this point, but there's like different. There's different styles of Batman. And the one that Christopher Nolan embraced was the one that was sort of centered around that inner conflict. And that's not how every single series run has approached Batman. That's not how every writer comes at that character.
0: No. And Batman is allowed to have fun and be fun from yeah. time to time.
1: And I think yeah. I think that that lean into what i jokingly call emo batman i'm sorry it's you know my early 2000s humor showing um but it leans hard into that and i think the rest of the universe the film universe has also done that it doesn't make sense for superman and it doesn't really make sense for wonder woman either um you know, even even her weapons, her ethos, the, the idea of her character just doesn't fit in with this sort of grim, dark thing that DC has going for it. So I just, I right. wish that they would go in the other direction. I hope maybe they do, but I don't and,
0: know. And I think that Wonder Woman 1 and this film both do in their own way try to push back against that brightness jenkins has said in in a lot of interviews that she's a huge fan of the donner superman and you feel that in this movie more than any but even in the first film there were there were moments of that you know a lot of i mean i kind of find it ironic that both of these wonder woman films are fish out of water stories just reversed um i don't know why they keep feeling like they have to do that to generate their humor beats it seems like there would be other places to go but so let's so after dawn of justice Pre-Justice League, we got Wonder Woman. And Wonder Woman attempted to explore the backstory that was hinted at in Batman v Superman colon, Dawn of Justice. Yeah. <laughs> um, that Batman discovers, right? Because supposedly, and one of the problems that this film runs into is that according to Batman in that film, Wonder Woman has been gone from the world, disappeared, unseen since World War I. And this movie, Wonder Woman 84, is a direct contrast to that statement, yeah. unless the entire world completely forgets all of the events of this movie.
1: Well, maybe it's like Superman, how, <clears throat> how they all forgot, and like Lois forgot,
0: and- You know, is- it feels like that was kind of the goal, but I don't know if we were had that communicated to us, but <laughs> we'll, I guess we'll get there. Um, Turns out
1: we forgot, too.
0: <laughs> we just don't remember. Um... So there's, so Wonder Woman one is about you know Wonder Woman leaving Themyscira, right? So so Wonder Woman comes from this, it, it, you know, if dear listener you're not a DC Comics fan and you haven't seen any of these movies, mm-hmm. um, Wonder Woman comes from a hidden island called Themyscira where uh, she lives with her amazonian sisters right there are no men on the island which is a huge plot point in the first film Um, and they are in this isolated little bubble protected by the gods um, until theoretically they're needed again or something you know just they're hidden away there and steve trevor uh, played by chris pine in the first film and in this film washes up on that island diana meets him kind of has a thing for him falls in love with him because hey why wouldn't you fall in love with the first guy that you ever see (laughs) and then um is is made aware of the fact that the world outside has not you know it's not a paradise it's not you know the gods aren't still ruling things and in fact it's it's a world besieged by the first world war and so diana leaves and and attempts to come and and save people right To, to do what's right despite her you know, family, her mother, the queen of the the Amazonians, the movie queen came of the Amazons.
1: hard at the first Avenger, like
0: hard. Yes, yeah. I mean, they they're definitely playing in that sandbox. You know, the the hero who is changing the course of the war,
1: and and the man, not of exactly, time
0: thing. but kind of, and, and the the person out of time. Yes. And that just um, does
1: not work. And then they tried to do it again in eighty four with uh, Steve. Steve.
0: Yeah, it's just flipped.
1: It, uh, uh. Yeah.
0: Um yeah, we'll we'll get there. <laughs> so so let's talk about Wonder Woman One a little bit. Because I know you hadn't seen it, uh, so you took a, a little bit of time to review that and and sort of immerse yourself in the 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 story of Wonder Woman uh in the Zack Snyder DCEU. So what were your overall impressions of Wonder Woman One?
1: It was it was just so boring. I don't know. It's something about the the action scenes. Just nothing. Nothing seemed to land. The humor was really off-putting, and the script was just kind of cheesy. Like it was just very schlocky. I was I was overwhelmed by the the cheesy weird. I don't know what I don't know what it was trying to go for. I don't know if it was trying to go for like the the Superman kind of schlock that tends to work sometimes. Right. But yeah. it was just so over the top. Um
0: and both of these Wonder Woman films struggle with that, which makes me think that that's a it's a Patty Jenkins thing. Like she wants that tone that Donner is able to maintain in the first couple of Superman films, which arguably is is also inconsistent in a lot of ways. Um and, and without, I mean, and a lot of people will, and I've heard this a surprising amount over the last couple of weeks as Wonder Woman, a lot of people talking shit about Christopher Reeve in the original Superman feels like, hey. oh, he wasn't that great. And I'm like, hey. mm, incorrect. Sure. Christopher Reeves is a Juilliard trained <laughs> dramatic actor he is who got Superman. that who got that job for his physique and his acting chops on, on stage. Um, so, and you could do a masterclass in the physical performance just of Superman that Chris Reeve does, right? That scene in Lois's apartment where he takes the glasses off, the shoulders square, he rises to his full height. He transitions without being in the Superman costume from being Clark Kent to being Superman. And it's brilliant. So I don't wanna, I, I refuse to minimize his, he carries those films and those films work mostly because of him. And I think that this is the same thing. I think Jenkins wants the same thing from these Wonder Woman movies and Gal Gadot can't carry it in the same way Um, as much as she may be trying to. And I I feel like she is trying.
1: That was one thing that I I feel like Linda Carter brought to the table that Gal Gadot doesn't is a kind of approachability that just isn't there.
0: Right, Um, they really push for Diana being aloof and statuesque and sort of cold
1: and see i always got and i don't get that either impression from from her i always I, i felt like that was her sort of clark kent thing was that she could switch to being the statuesque powerful wonder woman but then in just everyday moments she was a regular person or even
0: vice versa. Like, I'd kind of be okay with a Diana Prince who is aloof and alone. But yeah. then when she's Wonder Woman, when she's herself, that's when she's engaging and alive. And it we do get a glimpse of that at the beginning of Wonder Woman 84. Yeah. So Wonder Woman 1, we, we see why Wonder Woman both entered our society but then sort of regressed, right? So she's thrown into the horrors of World War I. Which gives us probably the best overall sequence of the first film, which is the No Man's Land sequence slash Saving Private Wonder Woman mm-hmm. sequence in the the French Village, and and you know that's that's great, um, but it's bogged down by a an okay love story, buoyed by Chris Pine's sort of magnetism and his ability to apparently just you
1: know generate
0: on screen chemistry with I anyone. I you know to
1: realize that Chris Pine. <clears throat> Was just being asked to play his Captain Kirk role again.
0: It's the same character, yeah. He, I, at this point, I just think that's Chris Pine. I just think people are like just be Chris Pine. I and mean, I like, like
1: okay. I like him. I feel like Chris yeah. Pratt does the same thing. It must be a Chris mm-hmm. thing. The only one really delivering yeah. is Chris Evans.
0: God yeah, Chris Evans is, you, Chris is the one Evans, that's got the chops. I,
1: love you. <laughs> <laughs> I know you'll um, never hear this, but I love you.
0: <laughs> and so, Wonder Woman one ends, and one thing that I think definitely had an influence on this film is that wonder woman uh ends with a ridiculous boss battle fight with uh Ares, the god of war played <laughs> by david thewlis <laughs> um and i love that when they put him in the costume like he's still he's in, like in the Ares costume it's still just david thewlis which i'm like so the greek god of war looked like a an english butler Cool. Awesome. (laughs) Mustache and all. Fantastic. He's
1: a great actor.
0: Oh, he's wonderful. I love David thewlis but but I never would have pictured him as my Ares god of war. No. Hello, Diana. I'm British and I'm also Greek.
1: Maybe that's why they picked him. They really wanted to give us the one-two punch with that reveal at the
0: end. (laughs) Which, you know, I mean, there are lots of things going on in Wonder Woman 84 where when you realize that gal gadot is a former member of the israeli defense force um that it just gets real uncomfortable when you start thinking about it a little bit uh so we're i guess we'll just have to let you know the nationality of actors slide if we don't want to get into real prickly uncomfortable territory in these films but um the so wonder woman one ends with this dumb boss battle against like a cloud man who casts lightning bolts and something diana realizes that she also has lightning bolt powers because she's the daughter of zeus and you know character quote unquote growth uh and and the film ends now i will say that you know in my family we we enjoyed the original wonder woman we saw in the theater um, everybody came out of it being like yeah it was pretty cool and the original Wonder Woman also came out during the what year and a half eight, let's say 18 month period where most films marketing was about if if it had a, a, a female cast or a female lead it was being marketed as the most feminist thing that ever feminist uh, and I you know, this happened to the Ghostbusters reboot, which again, problematic film, but you know, it was hinged on this idea that Hollywood is embracing women, right? Yeah. And it obviously was not that at all. It was well, just a way to get cheap Hollywood and easy publicity money. and headlines. Um, And and so Wonder Woman sort of rode that wave a little bit because it was also, it it was very much about empowerment it was about seeing this incredible character on screen doing interesting things being powerful changing the world and and it paid off in a lot of ways many of the other films that also sort of touted that as their tagline were not able to pay off and so i think it it was buoyed by that in a lot of ways as problematic as that film was it did have a, a really powerful lead character doing cool things and and so it it got a lot of fans aside from the fact that the dc universe was at that point a just trash fire of what are we doing what is happening and then wonder woman comes out and it's like hey this isn't too bad and dc's like not too bad eh Ah, it's not great but it's not too bad fantastic we've got the money back boys we'll take it it's like and so
1: it's it's just like, uh, I had a good, I had a good thing. It's gone. Screw me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sure it'll come back. But uh, you know, so I, I think it was a, a good film that hit at a really right time and it satisfied a lot of things that people were hoping for or hoping to see in the DC universe. Right. It, if the film itself was not perfect, it provided a kind of potential roadmap that DC could follow that seemed like a good place for them to go. And so that comes out, Justice League comes out, right? And that's just a giant wet fart of a failure yeah. um, for a whole bunch of reasons, right? But reasons that feel like they're connected to things that don't work in this film. Because, if again, dear listener, if you don't know... Justice League was being made by Zack Snyder as the follow up to Batman v Superman: colon Dawn of Justice, and he experienced a horrific family tragedy right which is is no joke and if you yep. as an individual feel like you are not being heard and you feel alone, please talk to someone close to you because suicide is never the answer and and so Zack Snyder's family was in in very problematic shape and i applaud him as a person for having the guts to step down and say i I cannot finish this film in my current state and the the state of my family that is absolutely the the correct choice that is good way to go Zack snyder be more like that Zack snyder be that guy as
1: i like your movies i am so sorry
0: yes no one deserves that and and there were Definitely social media posts that tried to make it sound like somehow he deserved that tragedy in his life. That was disgusting. And no one does. That
1: was, that was one of yes. those, like, I'm sad to be on the internet days. <clears throat> yeah,
0: that is that is absolutely not cool internet. Cut it out. Um, and so he stepped down and DC took the chance, well, not DC, but Warner Brothers, took that opportunity to try and jazz it up, right? Wonder Woman had had a good response and it was kind of light and, and kind of fun had some humor and they tried to they tried to Joss Whedon a Zack Snyder film and they did extensive reshoots resulting in the abomination that is uh, Henry Cavill with the cgi upper lip um, <laughs> and, and Justice League uh, is, is not a good film no. right? I will always have a fondness for it because it's the first film that I ever just took my son to We just us. We just went and saw Justice League because my wife had absolutely no interest in seeing it. That's why she's like, I don't want to see that garbage. That looks like a trash fire. And I was like, "Okay, I'll I'll just I'll take the boy and we'll go see Justice League. Uh, We were traveling. I think we were we were going from place to place and we were traveling alone. Just me and him anyway. And I was like, hey, let's let's just go see this. And so so we have a fondness for it for that reason you know the other reasons why cinema can can make a mark on your brain but not because it's a good film Uh, because it's got all the things that apparently warner brothers thinks a good superhero movie needs to have right uh humor uh characters touching other characters boobs um boob humor uh humor related to boobs um characters referencing other characters boobs uh, awkward moments involving boobs and everything else that Joss Whedon is, is unfortunately only capable I of doing. I hate
1: Joss Whedon. I hate him so much.
0: I, at one time, I thought that he was the future of of genre cinema. Uh, Firefly, obviously, I think still stands as a testament to really interesting hybridized, you know, sort of world building um, but I, I realize now that Firefly, I think, had more to do with guys like Drew Goddard than it did Joss Whedon. Whedon may have had the initial conceit, but I think the world was fleshed out by, you know, writers who at, at this point have proven themselves more more capable than, it's, than our you know it's, it's
1: the same thing as saying The X-Files is Chris Carter. It, it was, but no, it wasn't.
0: Right. It was also James Wong and Eric uh, Kripke and Vince Glenn Morgan, Vince Gilligan. Yeah, I mean, it. You had somebody who set the world up, and then other people who spun it into existence. And you know, uh, again, I don't want to talk too much trash about Justice League. It's it is what it is, but it was DC's attempt to create a more Marvelized product, right? Which is the only reason why you would hire Joss Whedon, right? Because he's the one that did Avengers, which arguably sort of set the tone for the Marvel Universe for at least the first you know cycle of films. I would say that now you know we're looking more at uh, you know guys like Taika Waititi and and um, you know the Russo brothers probably won't ever be involved again. But that that sort of level of, of humor in filmmaking is, is definitely kind of where they went. So Wonder Woman comes out, it's a hit. Justice League comes out, it's a <sighs> it's okay it makes a decent amount of money enough for you know Warner brothers to continue you know producing films but then aquaman comes out
1: Which and I somehow
0: been. somehow it makes a billion dollars
1: i don't understand uh, it i think i have to believe that it's successful because aquaman is not cool in anyone's mind and then they made a passively decent film mm-hmm. and it was better than what people expected so boom
0: For right and again we're, we're seeing these sort of Zack Snyder Genesis characters being spun out into frankly brighter and more interesting worlds than he had them in and somehow it ends up kind of working um, and I'll be the first to say I, I like Jason Momoa a lot I liked him since he was Ronan Dex On Stargate Atlantis, right? Like he was
1: only a quarter the size he is
0: (laughs) now. Right, right. Before he got really roided out.
1: Prepare yourself Um, when you Google that, people. He does not look the same.
0: (laughs) Like I didn't love Jason Momoa because he was Cal Drogo. I thought Cal Drogo was garbage character, and I was glad when he got killed. Um, I liked him when he was like the heroic guy in Stargate, and and so I'm glad to see him doing well. And and his Aquaman. Even though he's like just aggressively stupid, like the character is stupid, they write him as being stupid. Uh, I, you know he he's engaging enough, I suppose. And so Aquaman comes out it too. it's bright, it's a little goofy, and it does okay. So I really think that Wonder Woman 84 it's the product of all of those things happening. Right. It's of all of those, like, what does a good DC movie look like? Well, we can only look to our past successes to try and get answers. And so now we're getting the amalgamated committee based construction of a film that a movie studio thinks will be successful. And Patty Jenkins, for all of her efforts, and I'm sure her efforts were substantial, is not able to rescue this ship um not not in any significant way so that kind of brings us to wonder woman 84. and uh, you know i'll be the first to say that you know people who are engaged with and care about the dc extended universe i i don't know what they want and i i don't know what their expectations are um you know i I would put myself not as a fan but as a, a curious interested party Right, I'm interested to see what they do, but I'm I'm never invested in it, and my expectations are now so low that I can't. <laughs> I you know I enjoyed my first watching of Wonder Woman eighty four because I went in expecting it to be somehow worse than it actually was, um, and that's saying something. But I you know do you have any other like you know history with the DC universe? Any other thoughts on? where these characters are at as we come striding into wonder woman 84
1: i had the lowest of expectations and i was still disappointed um and that seems to be where i'm at with the dc movies at present
0: (laughs) yeah um so i guess let's talk a little bit about the marketing of wonder woman 84
1: cool poster
0: yes um I have a feeling that this project <clears throat> its genesis was was born during the height of stranger things yeah and the resurgence of the 80s so but they made the decision early on to set it in that time period
1: it's okay. the it's the the right time for i mean people talk about this all the time you know the the uh, pop culture cycles mm-hmm. um That happened, and we're on a 40-year one with the 1980s right now, and that's why Stranger Things is popular. That's why this is set in the
0: 80s. Mm -hmm. Yep, and and so that decision was made. Again, before we get into any spoilers or anything, can you give me any reasons why this movie had to be set in 1984, based on your viewing? There are none. No.
1: I don't actually feel like the movie was set in the 80s i feel like it was set in 2020 and everyone was wearing throwback clothes
0: yes uh i i would say that's a more appropriate feel um so this this film's marketing played that up right i mean we get blue monday in the trailer we get the yeah. gold the glitz the the
1: none of that is in the film
0: no Right. I mean, like all of these colors, all of this gorgeous, like, you know, fritzed out video drome television
1: like you know, I was on the fritz, like see, all of it's gone. I was thinking Diana Prince would come out of her office in like a power suit with shoulder pads and the wildest thing that she did was wear some some leopard print heels. I'm like even yeah. embracing what made the 80s so great and why we're so nostalgic about it. Um
0: Yeah, the only thing that I, I thought it was telling, the only thing that Wonder Woman gets dressed in are eighties throwback clothes that are currently fashionable.
1: Yeah, like that's it's all everything she's that in. is timeless. She looked timeless. Which could have been an interesting statement to make about an immortal woman if everyone around her. Because she just her, avoids that. Yeah. Yeah, if everyone around her didn't also look like that. But no one except for a couple of Kristen Wiig's outfits.
0: Right, Kristen Wiig like gets all of, of the 80s. jokey eighties fashion, and, and even just still, Wait,
1: I'm getting to that I, i'm I'm ready to talk about her when we get time <laughs> yes so much we will to say. we will get
0: into it um all right so uh basic plot synopsis for wonder woman 84 if you haven't seen it it is available for streaming now uh through the end of january on hbo max which is how i watched it with my family um on our home theater system so i mean that was my i did not have a theatrical experience with this uh, i've heard some people say that theatrical experience improved it i've heard other people say that the theatrical experience had zero effect uh i read more than a few um, you know, online posts about people saying that there were people who got up in the middle of it and just left, um, which would not surprise me at all. Mm. Um, but you know, so I, I, you know, but I did home viewing, you did home viewing. Um, so it is available and it is, it is inexpensive, right. to go see, I mean, I basically tallied up how much we would have spent to go see this in the theater, which we absolutely would have if it was an option at the, this point. And uh it covered an h b o max subscription for six months, so I was like, "We'll just get the six month h b o max subscription. screw yeah. it right why not um, and so so that's how I watched it and the the basic storyline, the basic setup is that we we come back to diana Prince sixty ish years sixty five ish years after the events of um the original wonder woman film she is now living in quote unquote hiding and uh she has embraced the 1980s she is currently working as a curator i guess that's kind of what we saw her doing in in batman v superman she's working at the smithsonian um and uh you know leading a, a seemingly relatively successful life on her own uh, she meets a, another uh, recent hire at the Smithsonian, a researcher, a gemologist named Barbara Minerva, played by Kristen Wiig. And then they both sort of begin to cross paths with a oil magnate, failed businessman, uh, Donald Trump-lite uh, named Maxwell Lord, Mm. who has designs on the acquisition of a mysterious stone that he believes can change his fortunes. Um, And that's kind of it. The plot of this film is incredibly simple, and they somehow make it way harder than it needs to be.
1: Well, first Um, of all, when the movie opens, it opens with a flashback that is meaningless. (laughs)
0: Yes, we will discuss the meaningless flashback that they obviously spent like $45 million on um, with the terrible voiceover from Diana attempting to explain how this connects to the rest of the film. (laughs) It just doesn't work. Um, so I'm not going to read any critics reviews from this because it's very much in flux. But I will say that as I've been monitoring initial reactions and pre-reactions to current, um, it was sitting right around 90% on Rotten Tomatoes for pretty much up until it came out. And then it dropped 30 points like overnight, um, seemingly because you know Warner Brothers carefully curated the outlets who they allowed to review Wonder Woman in advance. And then once it was in release and people could see it and more reviews started hitting, I think we got a more accurate gauge of people's reactions to it. Mm-hmm. It is still fresh, barely. Uh, it's at 61% on Rotten Tomatoes with 350 critic reviews, which is not terrible. There are lots of good films with 61%. The audience score is a bit higher, at 74%, um, which, you know, is, is kind of reflected... It's kind of reflected... The back and forth I've seen. I have rarely seen a social media backlash on a film, at least in recent memory, like I have with Wonder Woman. Uh, Rise of Skywalker, maybe, but everybody kind of knew that was going to be garbage. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, nobody was surprised when people got out of it and were like, what the hell was that? Um, but a lot of people, a lot of people were surprised that this woman, that this Wonder Woman film is as problematic problematic as it is because again the first film not perfect not not even great but fine right competent a little bit boring drags in the middle ending kind of spotty at worst it
1: was just a bad movie
0: yeah i mean at, at worst it's a middling superhero film but this one has hit people much harder And a lot of people loathe this film for a variety of reasons. Um, So I'll go ahead and say if you have an interest in watching it, it is easy to obtain and watch. You can plop down your eight bucks on HBO Max and you can watch it right now if you want to.
1: (laughs) Did we whet your appetite? That's right. (laughs) Are you excited? (laughs)
0: Um, Again, I I enjoy artifacts like this. And our our discussion here is, is we're really in the midst of, you know, something wicked this way comes you know what is what are people going to think about wonder woman 84 in 20 years if people even think about it that's the question and so you know we're kind of examining this as a failure piece in the making right and is it something that is going to stand that test of time that we'll come back to and be like you know this actually was really great or is it going to fade into obscurity like albert pyun's captain america film right like what is it what is going to happen to wonder woman 84 uh so if you're interested go check it out uh we're going to dash right into spoilers and we're going to kick into the opening of the film which at this point uh is you can watch this anywhere they've posted this entire sequence or at least a good chunk of it to uh youtube and, and hbo max's you know free site and all that stuff um so the film actually opens back on Themyscira, right so one of the the things that many people loved about Wonder Woman the original were the the scenes on Themyscira actually seeing the amazonian society uh sort of Diana's place in it you know and really the first act of the film in its entirety the first 30 to 40 minutes of the movie takes place on Themyscira inside that universe we did get some more glimpses of it in uh, Justice League and and you know the other films we see we kind of go back there see things happen and so we flash back to Diana as a young girl. Because, unfortunately, this is a prequel. Again, uh, it's a another prequel. Uh, so we know what happens to Diana in the future with her you know, joining the Justice League. So we're telling a story, again, from her past. So we're jumping back even further to when she was a child again. Similar to some scenes we saw in the original Wonder Woman. And she is participating in what can only really be called, what, Amazonian Ninja Warrior? I mean, I guess yeah. that's really what's going on it's it's some kind of olympic-esque contest to determine the most powerful amazon Um, we're not introduced to any of the other people involved which is hilarious to me um you know our our young diane doesn't uh interact with them in any way uh the immediate question i have is is why is she being allowed to compete other than she's the queen's daughter i guess um, but it's, it's obvious that most people don't even want her to be involved yet and feel like it's a bad idea, which kind of bears out over the course of the experience. Um, but we're treated to what amounts to a, a, a pretty stellar action sequence. I, would, I, I don't really have any problem saying that it may be the best action sequence in the film. Um, but
1: then don't get too excited because that's not something.
0: Right. I I mean, I think it's staged relatively well, but only because it's just a lot of, well, one thing I'll say right off the bat is I appreciate that a lot of the action in this film, I would say probably 80% of it at least, is practical or at least has major practical elements, which I think is, is is yeah, I I think it's all Jenkins. Um, I don't think Jenkins as many of, of her her generation in Hollywood, which I would put her, you know, in the same basic category as guys like Chris Nolan, um, you know, who just... CG's great, CG's a great tool, but if we can do it without it, let's do it without it kind of thing. Um, and I feel like she does that a lot in this movie, uh, at least as much as she can. In any case, this nebulous contest, it's kind of... Uh, You know, I said Amazon Ninja Warrior, but it's really like a triathlon is is what we're watching. There's some kind of obstacle course at the beginning. There is um, like a horse, a swimming sequence, a horse riding sequence, and, and, you know, some various other shenanigans. Um, But, you know, I guess we really didn't talk about Suicide Squad at all. I I intend to do an episode of Suicide Squad at some point, but I know that's going to be a harder ask. For you to watch and make it all the way through because it's awful. But one thing that Suicide Squad entered into the DC universe is color, right? All of a sudden now we care about color, right? So Joker's purple, so we'll make everything purple. And Harley yeah. Quinn likes pink, so everything's pink. And they they keep trying to do that with Wonder Woman as well. And I, I don't know if it's really working. The, the title sequence is frankly annoying and out of place in this as everything gets started. But then, you know, the contest begins, the Amazons, you know, we get to see them doing some, some crazy physical things and, you know, running and jumping and, and it's all staged fine. The the action is passable. I mean, I wouldn't say there's anything incredibly exciting happening, um, but it at least feels, you know, interesting, right? The the, the mascara stuff is interesting at the very it
1: least. It is. This flashback, though, is... A problem because i still don't understand its relevance in the rest of the film the yes. message is don't take the short path and be a cheater which i guess max lord i guess mm. that mm-hmm. fits into what he's doing but i mean st- only sorta yeah and i don't really see what it has to do with wonder woman because she she didn't ever have... A-
0: She's not trying to do that, as far as we can tell. <laughs>
1: I mean, actually, her wish was just an accident. And and pretty much as soon as she found out she had to let it go, she did. So, I, I don't know. Just this, this flashback... I was expecting the rest of the movie to be set up by this flashback. You know, as you do with flashbacks. Right. And it was not. And it just... It got everything off to a bad start. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I... I- I guess we should say that the film actually opens with voiceover from Diana reminiscing. Oh, if I'd only paid attention when I was a kid, I wish the lessons that I'd learned then, you know, would have made their impact. But, you know, sometimes you don't know the lesson until after everything's over. You know, it's, it's that kind of, ah, I'm looking back on my life and wondering about yeah, And it's, it's this, this question of like, wait, what? what are you talking about here but what they seem to be setting up or at least attempting to set up is this idea of truth right that that truth is more important than the easy way truth is more important than winning and that in truth we can find beauty right like that's that's kind of what antiope um indicates in some badly ADR dialogue that they obviously put over the one scene that they shot with Robin Wright Penn in that stadium. Because <laughs> um, I'm sure she was contractually obligated to be in the film again, right? They had to have a place for her because that's the way these contracts work. Same with Connie Nielsen, who literally has one line and then a whole bunch of reaction shots of her staring out into the ocean, wondering what her daughter is doing. But, you know, you you got to have them in the movie. You're also ticking a box, right? This movie in a lot of ways feels like the ticking of boxes. What was successful about the first film? Themyscira sequence, check. Um, Amazons, check. Steve Trevor, check. Wonder Woman in a cool costume, check, right? Like there there are significant corporate and marketing boxes being ticked by the elements of this film, which again, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Movies can still be good and still be successful even if they are ticking a set of, of highly, highly important corporate boxes. Um, Marvel has proven that that is something that you can do because those movies are corporate as hell. Yeah, And, and that's fine. But this movie, it's so obvious that that is what's happening. Um, I'll say that my my issue with this, right? So the, the basic sequence is Diana is running. She is winning for the vast majority of it. Then they get to the horse riding sequence at the end and they have to shoot. It, it feels like the whole Odysseus, like shooting his bow through the axe heads thing um, from mythology that Diana basically has to shoot these things while she's riding a horse to trigger a smoke cloud that then tells them to give her a point or something. And she falls off her horse accidentally right she like hits a branch or something like it's it's like oh and the horse keeps running and so she figures out that she can slide down an aqueduct which really just feels like going for the roman deep cuts here Mm. i mean like they're just really like hey man you know what them you know what them
1: this ancient you know
0: what those ancient societies loved aqueducts let's let diana slide down an aqueduct so she slides on this aqueduct to catch up with her horse. And in doing so, she misses one of the uh, markers, right? She makes it all the way to the end. She's getting ready to throw the spear through the final circle to win. And Antiope, her trainer, Robin Wright Penn, uh, or just Robin Wright now, um, pulls her aside and says, no, you can't. And so as we were watching, my whole family kind of just looked at each other because antiope then basically says you cheated you took the short path and you cheated and i was like i but i didn't right and she's like no you did and that's the truth it's the only truth and truth is all there is
1: okay
0: so that's that's the the lesson from antiope that's the truth the only truth and the truth is all there is you know there's she doesn't have her hand on a bible but I guess that's really what we're doing here. And my family looked at me and said, but did she cheat though? Yeah. Like, was it a cheat? Like she was at a disadvantage.
1: We don't even know what the rules were. Right. We're just taking it on what we see and it doesn't look like she cheated.
0: No, I mean, I thought she was going to lose on a technicality. That's what I thought is she was going to say, hey, you didn't hit this other marker like you were supposed to. So you can't win right? You can't be the victor because you didn't do everything you were supposed to. You didn't follow the rules, right? I thought this was going to be a movie about rule following is what I thought. And, and how you've got to make sure that, you know, and I guess in a roundabout way, it kind of is She's like, you can't take the short path. You can't, can't bypass anything, but it's like, I don't know if I would call that cheating. She made a mistake, but all of this feels constructed. Notice that all of all of these lines about truth and truth being the only thing there is and and all this stuff like a lot of that stuff is 80 yard for one. It's it's shot without her you know, physically talking on screen. The only thing we really see Robin Wright Penn say to her physically like in her face where we see Robin Wright actually delivered this line on set is she said you can't be the winner because you're not ready to win and there is no shame in that. Right. Like, that's the only scene that that's the only line that Robin Wright Penn delivers in a scene on the day. Everything else was 80 yard. So I really think that at one point in the script, this was supposed to tie in more directly to what does it mean to really win? And what are the conditions under which Diana will be ready to win for real? Right. With no shortcuts or anything like that. Uh, You know, at least I I think maybe that's what was happening. But I I, I don't
1: even know where that would be fulfilled in the rest of this movie. Like, I'm kind of wondering now where in this script would that motif have found a home? And I don't know.
0: Yeah, it, it, what it smacks of is we have to have a Themyscira scene. We shot this Themyscira scene. It no longer fits with the movie that we are telling. It no longer fits with the story we're telling in our movie. So we're going to rewrite the ending of it in post to try and make it fit. And they, they basically fail <laughs> because the, the only lesson that she learns is that truth is truth and you got to have truth and truth is the only way, right? Which is fine, like truth is one of the core thematic elements of Wonder Woman. She has the lasso of truth for God's sake. So I, I yeah. get it.
1: And and that plays into, you know, Superman's big thing. And Superman and Wonder Woman have always kind of been you know, partners in that respect. So it's very reflective of those ideals of of the DC heroes.
0: Yeah. But it's those bigger, it, larger than life issues, you know, like yeah. and, and it's okay. I mean, that's fine.
1: But it just But
0: it doesn't fit with what this movie is, right? Yeah. Um and I would and argue
1: I just, it actually would have worked a little better in the first movie.
0: A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I would think.
1: <laughs> like they could have made it connect to a war a little bit easier.
0: I just I, I just think it's really telling that they gave the theme statement to Antiope. And she delivers those theme statements off screen ADR, (laughs) which tells me that they didn't know what the theme was going to be and they figured it out later. And and that is is basically a tiny microcosm of what's wrong with this movie. I think this movie had a lot of we'll figure it out later sort of applied to it Um, because I'm fine with Diana losing and needing to understand the best way to win, right? The best way to find happiness and success and whatever. Um, You know, it it really feels like it was supposed to be about taking shortcuts, right? Like taking a shortcut to true happiness and you just can't do that. And then they wanted to add in this idea of, of truth, which doesn't really fit. So at the end of this, we get introduced to the golden armor uh, worn by Asteria, another Amazon who sacrificed herself when the Amazons escaped to the Hidden Island and stayed behind in the world of men to fight off what looks like the cast of Zack Snyder's 300 um, so that the Amazons could escape. And we get a little lesson about, you know, what it means to be a hero, patience, diligence, courage, you know. Etc. And then that's that's it. But none of it really. It just it. It's weird. It's weird. Like the scene itself is fine. It's shot fine. It looks okay. But how they attempt to connect it to the to the larger story really just kind of fails completely, as as we discussed. So we leave the mascara. We jump immediately to nineteen eighty four streets of washington dc
1: and we don't see wonder
0: woman not for a bit no <laughs> um we do get some interesting like television wavy weird color effects you know so that they can at least justify those posters even though the rest of the film is not going to look anything like that yeah, um it's like present day <laughs> and and you know we really just get a bunch of like spider-man 2 montage like that's really what we get is is this is the opening montage from spider-man 2
1: and and apropos of nothing i feel like this montage doesn't even really set the tone of the 80s that well either no
0: as you said they're they're not doing a good job of the time period right cuz say what you want about stranger things stranger things is is a problematic project for lots of reasons but the one thing that they do because they set it in a fictional town and they've built all those places they it all congeals right everything feels right in that world
1: and it is soaked in the style
0: right I mean, and, and it feels like it it is in the 80s right from yeah. the the you know the architecture that they choose to show on screen to the the carpeting colors the wood paneled walls you know like all of that stuff whereas this just feels like we shot this stuff in downtown dc today and we didn't bother changing anything and we just populated it with old cars we put people in like generally 1980s recognizable fashions and then we just said act you know we we said go and i'm sorry shopping
1: mall that they choose is not an it's not an 80s shopping mall no nothing about it looks 80s to me
0: no, it. they added some color in a couple of spots to try and make it feel like it. But everything else about this is just modern day DC. Yeah. Um, and it feels like it, right? It just doesn't drip with the style. The only like 80s stuff that feels like it's present is the really obvious stuff that you would have, right? The, yeah. the detritus and accoutrement of the 1980s. On display in whatever frame they're showing, right? Oh, she's wearing a bakelite bracelet. Oh, that girl's got like you know some terrible roll-up pants, you know that kind of stuff. But the world doesn't feel like a 1980s nostalgic world. And this is something I saw a lot of a lot of reviewers talking about. as they thought that this sequence in specific, because it's even shot a bit soft, right? It's it's got a little bit of the. You know, sort of, again, I hesitate to characterize anything as a 1980s look. Most of the films in the 1980s look the way they do because of the technology they were employing at the time, right? The, the film technology they were using, the film processes they were using to develop types those films. Of
1: cameras that they used.
0: The cameras, you know, so I mean, like, saying something looks like an 80s film is a bit of a misnomer because you're not really saying anything, right? You're just saying it looks kind of shitty, is what you're
1: saying. <laughs> this movie looks you know, bad. I this movie doesn't the look <laughs>
0: crisp and clean and digital. Therefore, it is like the 80s. Like, no, it's it's a little bit more complicated than that. But I will admit this is shot pretty blown out. Um, I, I will say I'm surprised how much of this film is shot during the daylight. Like, they didn't try to hide much at night until the end, uh, which mm. is probably a smart choice, even though it still doesn't work. But, like, it's, it's bright but not especially colorful it's blown out but not especially interestingly right like it's not like the blown out style of you know like hey we just ran outside with a camera and we just we didn't have time to set everything so it looks kind of weird you know it's, it's not that it just falls feels very calculated to try and emulate that feeling and it doesn't do a, st- a particularly good job of it The only real story thing that's happening is we watch, you know, 80s tableaus unfold because there's like people getting married. There's a dude in a what I like a Trans Am who is uh,
1: almost runs over an 80s jogger woman.
0: Right. There's a couple of cowboys eating burgers at the mall. Like it's just all of these like weird 80s tableau moments. There's a an aerobic class going on in the middle of the mall where women are doing aerobics and then men are just kind of lasciviously.
1: I mean, I'm not saying it them. wouldn't happen. I, You know, it was a very strange time, but it's just yeah. none of that doesn't feel like a familiar thing that people would see and latch onto.
0: No, no. But basically what we're seeing here is all of these crazy things are happening and Wonder Woman is kind of zipping through the city, saving people, right? She kicks like, the Trans Am out of the way to save a jogger. She um, uses the lasso of truth to you know rescue the woman who's the or the rescue the the bride who's falling off the bridge yeah. which again it's like what who would how did, i don't even understand it's,
1: it's another another superman thing i i yeah. don't yeah. understand why they keep trying to turn wonder woman into superwoman yeah we already have her <laughs> we don't yeah need we her. have one of
0: those you know. um, <laughs> um
1: i would like it if if diana was a little bit more than that you know and i think she should be her character has a much richer background
0: and a much larger she, role in the DC universe, right? I mean she yeah. she is a goddess.
1: Yeah. Right?
0: Like she's not just like cool happening eighties chick who's getting but stuff done. I'm working she's it. Doing Did you ever see working girl? I'm like her, right? It's like, oh, yeah. what? I don't what? What is this? You know, I've seen a lot of people saying that this feels like the Chris Reeve Superman films tonally like that's what they're going for and i agree to a point um it does feel a little bit i mean we've talked about this before just just ourselves but the line between corny which is is kind of fun and acceptable and then cheesy is really thin and this Um, movie doesn't know which side it wants to land on. our
1: last episode was the perfect example uh the rocketeer yeah Yeah, that's true it's it is it is corny. It's a corny movie, and you kind of have to love that. But it never crosses the line into being smarmy or fake or icky. Like, it just doesn't cross that line. Um, and I feel like you kind of have to intuit where that line is, depending on the project
0: Yes, definitely. Uh, like I said, Rocketeer gets a little bit of a pass because it's emulating an even older time in film when film itself was kind of corny by the very construction of it, right? Nobody was going for it, you know, a particular element of cinema verite in you yeah. know, 1938. Like it was starting, right? There were certainly people who were trying to still tell serious stories, but even the telling of those serious stories, like, you know, something like Ms. Miniver is serious as a heart attack, but it still got people with that transatlantic accent, Oh, oh darling i'll love you forever i'll, I'll love I you until the here, end of time it. <laughs> you know it's,
1: it's it's
0: just the medium that was being used to tell stories at that point in history and you know this film is trying to tell it when things were more complicated but it's not going it's not fully investing itself in that complexity it yeah. wants to keep it simple it wants to keep it light and it doesn't really want to do all of the hard work to truly sell this as a film that would fit in the 1980s or even reference it in any significant way. So I guess we'd say as this weird like Wonder Woman rescuing random city people on the street apparently in full costume. Yeah. So I mean they But she they,
1: crushes the security cameras.
0: That's right. So She's hitting the security cameras. She's destroying public property with her her magic uh, tiara.
1: And she puts her finger up to her lips to shush the little girl like, don't tell anybody it was me, even though the hundreds of people in this crowded, busy mall just saw me do these things. (laughs) Right,
0: which is why Batman, when he was able... Which is why Batman, when he started looking for, you know, who is Diana Prince, he could only find one picture of her from God. 1917 with her crew of badasses in, in World War One, Because nobody had ever seen her since, even though she's you see, in, in the
1: 80s, this... they didn't have cell phones, so no one took any
0: pictures. Nobody wrote about her in their so, diary. Nobody oh had, I mean, God. there were all, only four or five news reports about a strange woman in a, in a crazy well, costume. Well, if Jimmy Olsen wasn't in-
1: available, how are they going to get the pictures? <laughs>
0: So while all this is going on, we are getting our first introduction to Maxwell Lord. And and again, this feels like somebody went back and watched the intro to Robin Leach's Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And then sort of loosely cobbled together a series of scenes that you would potentially film to look like an asshole businessman from the 1980s. And then they shot those on a soundstage as cheaply as possible. (laughs) And what I don't
1: understand is this movie was made after Wolf of Wall Street. Yes. If you want to show that lifestyle, any frame from that movie will show that lifestyle. And they didn't...
0: And they couldn't do it. They didn't do
1: that at all. It just missed the mark.
0: Uh, So I'll throw out my my first of many potential theories about how this this changed over time. Uh, In the comics, Maxwell Lord has always been a sort of shady... Well, in, in recent iterations, he's been a sort of shady businessman. Right. So fine, whatever. But I don't think they were going to take that full angle on him. It really felt like with this character, they were trying to almost go towards that 80s motivational speaker angle where they they sort of delve into and have him be because like whenever he's introducing himself to Diana and and Barbara later, he's not saying, oh, you know, I've got 87 oil wells or whatever. He's like, you things are good. But they could be better, right? Which is like these these like self-help slogans of the 80s. You know, your, your Tony Robbins stuff. Yeah. And it feels some. like they didn't know what they wanted him to be. Is he the Tony Robbins yeah. guy or is he like discount Donald Trump? And yeah. it really feels like they wanted the Trump angle so that people who were looking for some kind of thematic depth would be like, oh, but they're lampooning. Donald Trump, which fine, I see what go ahead, mean. please, sure. Donald Trump has been a joke for the entirety of my existence right i've I never liked him, right? I'm not even talking about his presidency, disaster that it's been i'm or or whatever i like he's always been a joke for the entirety of my life. Donald Trump was a joke, I mean he was in home alone too, as the guy who was mean to Kevin, right, like I don't even understand, so whatever. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I understand that they might want that, that like, oh, we, we want people to connect these two ideas and see, you know, shyster knows a shyster, whatever. Um, but then he's also supposed to be like this motivational, like inspirational, we can be together. And it, it's just, it's a very weird angle and it has some precedent. You know, I'm not going to say that there weren't people doing this kind of stuff. It's kind of like a bad Amway salesman. Um, but it just tonally, it, it feels off. Right it just never it, his character never settles on one or the other, and I think it's because ultimately the movie doesn't want us to hate him. it wants us to kind of be okay with him, especially by the end and and so and and partially, I think that is a late game decision because pad Pedro Pascal is fucking huge right now, yeah, like but he was is so easier popular way to do
1: that. there was i mean there's there were so many missed opportunities with that character in this story,
0: yeah. It feels like he wasn't supposed to get a redemptive arc, and then Mandalorian became super successful, and they were like, we can't kill him.
1: Well, because the son was just an afterthought.
0: A hundred percent, yes.
1: And and then that became the crux of, of the ending act of the film, and I'm like,
0: what?
1: Huh? For a moment, I forgot he had a son. Yeah. No, I was I like, mean, oh. I, he I think does, we're supposed oh, oh, to. Yeah, I remember that little reference to the kid.
0: So we're introduced to him he's selling um basically buy shares of my company and then you'll share in my profits and then we we're quickly told later in probably the best piece of like just good visual storytelling in the movie by his stroll through his offices that his business is a sham right like they at one time they had some wealth and some people and now it's just like him and one other person running around uh But all of that gets set to the side. He gets sort of introduced. And again, a lot of these scenes we saw in the trailers, like they're direct from there because it's like the green screen stuff that you set up to to show like, oh, here's the cheesy 80s guy. But Wonder Woman then foils a jewel heist, Uh, but not any jewel heist, a jewel heist that is covering the theft of a black market dealership in antiquities. (laughs) <laughs> which yeah I mean that's a thing you did in the 80s I guess you ran a jewelry store and then you sold black market Mayan antiquities in the back uh, in the mall in the mall <laughs> like there's certainly couldn't do that in a warehouse on a dock
1: uh,
0: where nobody would be around
1: we need that aerobics scene so it has to be in the mall
0: yeah <laughs> uh, again this this feels like a choice oh people remember that malls are associated with the 80s and, um, so we'll put this all in a mall so that we get to do an action sequence in a mall, even though it makes no sense for this to actually be taking place in a mall. Because I, I've, you know, I've worked in a mall. Getting stuff into a mall is really difficult um you might have a back access room that you could bring stuff in from the outside but usually you're gonna have to like come through a couple of different access ways so if you're transporting like illegal shit into your mall it's not gonna be easy to do it malls are
1: pretty famous for having a lot of people in them
0: yeah people security guards it's yeah whatever but so These guys are knocking over this thing. It goes wrong because one of them is a doof and he drops his gun on the ground because the bag that he was asked to carry is heavy, I guess. And again, this does feel very, like, you know, Richard Donner Superman, bumbling villains. You know, it's it's fine.
1: But the, but the bumbling villain kind of, I mean, it was a, a quick escalation because- yes. He grabs a child pretty quick after that and then dangles them over a ledge. Mm-hmm. And that would not be my first thought. My first thought would be to run and to just run really fast. But, yes. <laughs> but he grabbed a child and was just like, I'm gonna drop this kid or...
0: Yeah, he keeps doing this, I'm not back going to- back. I'm not going back. And we if don't you know where. If you drop that
1: kid, you're definitely like, going to go back to wherever you were, bro.
0: It's like, what do you mean? Are you not going back to like your apartment? Are you not going back to, I mean, obviously it's prison, but <laughs> I I did like that the moment he grabs the kid and hangs over the railing, That even his partners are like, dude, uh, what, what WTF? are you doing? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, like, we are just robbing a jewelry store. We don't want to kill anybody. Um, but, of course, this this then sets up our, our Wonder Woman action sequence. Um, what are your thoughts on this sequence? I don't know. What do, what do you think about um, this?
1: I enjoy the parts where she's floating through the air. Mm-hmm. She looks really good when she's floating through the air. You know, her yes. hair looks great. She's got the lasso. It looks cool. Uh The rest of it, though, is pretty bog-standard action, and it wasn't even filmed in a particularly compelling way, um, to the point where I didn't get much exuberance in Wonder Woman's movements at all. Um, Yeah. You know, a a great example would be Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies. They capture the exuberance of being Spider-Man, just how awesome it would be to sling webs and fly around in between buildings. Um, I think the Batman movies, by and large, capture what it's like to be Batman. Mm -hmm. This is not giving me any accurate feeling on what it's like to be Wonder Woman. And maybe that's the point. Maybe we don't ever get to know what it's like to be her. But I feel like it would be easier to invest and enjoy the action sequences if they were a little more personal, but it just kind of feels like, ah, she's floating through the air. Now she's sliding. Now all the men are captured and down and it's over.
0: Yeah, it feels uh, I mean they established this in the first film that Wonder Woman has this balletic grace. Yeah. And and that is fine, right? She slides, she she's, you know, sort of jumping around, she's floating, she's flying with the lasso, right? And and I, I like the general approach to her movement. Like you said, like I think she's, it's a really unique way to film a fight scene. right? It's, it's something that you would not necessarily see any, in anything else at this point. Um, and I, I like somebody that thinks about a character and says, well, how would this character fight? Um, you know, are they just going to go in and punch? Are they going to be looking? Because it seems like most of her moves, most of what she does is meant to disable and debilitate, right? She's she's attempting to neutralize threats. That's what she's doing. Um, not murderously, although when she drops all four of them on top of a police car at the end.
1: Don't know how that didn't hurt. <laughs> I was like,
0: that's one of those men is dead. Like, there's no way <laughs> the that you're going to survive that. Sure. <laughs> Like you don't you don't drop four guys on top of a car from a high height and expect all of them to be cool with it, right? <laughs> like I'm sure. He's um, fine. so like that was a bit that was a, a again strange choice, which I think we're going to say that phrase a bunch as we go over this movie, it's like that's a strange choice. But I I think the first fight scene and I'll be so I'll be totally honest, for the first 15 minutes of this movie, I was pretty on board with it. I was like Okay, um, I don't get why Themyscira is here. None yeah. of that made sense. Very pretty. The first action sequence in the mall is like, okay, this is kind of kind of fun.
1: I love it's... the part where she throws the guy through the big drum. The yeah. Virginia's for Lover's drum. That mm-hmm. was really cute when that he comes was out of the hula hoop. And he's the like end. spinning
0: cool. on the hoop. Yeah, I mean, like, that's, that's funny and kind of silly. Again, it's a little bit corny. But hey, you know, we also have a woman and a red and gold suit leaping around a mall so corny's fine
1: yeah
0: and and then everything takes a turn it's <laughs> just an immediate hard turn and doesn't really ever come back and i don't know why because it, honestly if the whole movie had been the tone and sort of general attitude of that mall sequence problematic and flawed though it may be i think i'd be okay with it yeah. Right? Like, you know, you bring in a bit of drama. You bring in some, some conflict for Diana. She's struggling with, you know, either her personal problems or a new character. Great. But, like, if that was the tone of the entire film, I think I'd be fine with that. That
1: would have been great. Like, her little I hate guns thing when she crushes them. Like, yeah, it's great. I would love to have seen more of that kind of sassy Wonder Woman.
0: Right. So, th- this whole sequence feels very planned, very specific, Right but then this is also the point in the film where pretty much all references to the 1980s stop stop
1: just abruptly. (laughs) they're
0: done apart from a couple of kristen wiggs outfits and a few of the maxwell lord scenes where he's just hamming it up as this shyster businessman that's it you're done well well i take it back apart from steve trevor's return and the '80s jokes around him being reintroduced to the world, but that is a whole another ballgame. We're going to get to very shortly because that is the terrible. strangest and most terrible choice made in this film. So it, the news is talking about like you know the woman who saves the people at the mall, and 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 you know they're they're legitimately asking who is this woman that keeps saving people. And yet we're also supposed to believe that Wonder Woman has not been seen or heard from in a hundred years in 2020 when the Justice League happens. Whatever. But we, we immediately find out that that is not the case because we get this photo montage through Diana's apartment as she is winding down for the night. And we get, you know, a reminder of who Steve Trevor is. We get a nice little photo from the 19, I guess, the 60s where Diana's hanging out with the... Um, the assistant the secretary character from wonder woman one as an old woman and, and they're like still friends and and you know all of this is very sweet we get all these artifacts of diana's life uh you know pictures of her apparently she liberated prisoners from concentration camps in world war Two. like you
1: think we would have had a photograph of her
0: but we we basically get a montage of of still images that are more interesting than anything that happens in this movie <laughs>
1: And and like you said, completely destroy our concept of Wonder Woman in every other movie up until this point.
0: Right. It's just I would I have wanted to see Wonder Woman liberate like punch more Nazis and liberate yes. people from concentration camps? Yes. Yes. Yes, please. Do that. That was
1: that was why First Avenger was so satisfying. You know? They were Hydra, sure. I know, but they were Nazis. Come on. Right.
0: Um, Nazis that can play in movie theaters in Germany.
1: <laughs> exactly. All I've ever wanted is to see Captain America punch Nazis, and that's what I got. And I was very happy about it. Wonder Woman punching Nazis, that, that put lots of seats.
0: Right. And and I think that's also part of it, is that it's very easy to bypass issues by just going like, oh, Wonder Woman has an obvious bad villain that is bad who she can fight and, and that's that's good and this film doesn't have that the the villains no. are the problem of this film in many ways um so then we get the most on the nose scene in the world because diana after her excursion at the mall goes out for dinner and the waiter comes out and says, are you dining? Are you expecting someone? And she's like, no. So, I
1: paused the movie when that happened. And I was like, that <laughs> never happens in a restaurant. Not no. only do they not have place settings out <laughs> in an outdoor setting, nope. they would never come and take one away from you.
0: Right, and be eating. like, oh, you're a loser. You don't have anybody what? coming. We need this plate. Give me this plate.
1: Just, what is movie world?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very contrived. And it's obvious that they're trying to set up the other... So if Diana is supposed to learn a lesson about truth and taking shortcuts and truth is truth and that's the only truth because truth.
1: (laughs) And you can't handle the truth.
0: Then the only other theme that she deals with or the only other concept that she deals with in this film is is loneliness. That as a woman out of time who is immortal, that she is alone, right? Yes, ma'am. Being noble
1: and beautiful and a goddess is very difficult, I'm sure.
0: And my goodness, this for me was just the biggest. I mean, at this point, I mean, I don't know enough about Wonder Woman in this version, but it's safe to say she's at least like five or six hundred years old. Yes, at least sure, sure. Maybe more like probably two or three thousand years old. She's only been out of Themyscira for you know sixty years or something at this point. But are you telling me that a woman who has lived that long and is this powerful and fascinating and interesting and, you know, just like a wonder wo- like she's a wonder woman is yeah, going to point. be this like lonely, just she's like a reverse incel. It just doesn't make sense to me. And it's Mm -hmm. so dumb. Like, I understand if she doesn't want to be tied down, right? Like, I understand if she doesn't, like, that Steve Trevor was her great love, and she'll never have love like that again. I get that. That's great. But are you telling me that that means that she has to be literally alone at every moment of her life forever?
1: I really am beginning to question the, the usefulness of that narrative in 2020. Yeah. Um I understand that, you know, a lot of marriages end in divorce, and divorce is never easy and it's it's never it's never a great thing. But you can find love again mm-hmm. uh after being in love with someone. Like it, it's not unheard of. Uh even in the eighties, people got you know, into relationships after they lost someone or they left someone. Sure. It just doesn't make any sense anymore. I i don't buy that anymore. The, the lonely, you know, brokenhearted, I only have eyes for you. It just, it doesn't make any sense. And I think we need to let go of that trope.
0: Well, at the very least, if you want to make that point, okay. Right? But have Wonder Woman go out... Or Diana, I guess. Go out with a group of people from work or something. And they're like, hey, Diana, we're going to go do this after. Or hey, look at that guy over there. He's checking you out. You know, Tell us that she has no interest in deep relationships by some other method than having her look pathetic.
1: But she doesn't need her personal fulfillment to come from a, a romance. Like That's the problem, is that it looks like she is unfulfilled.
0: Yes, and and comes. the fact that her happiness, her personal gratification and enjoyment of life is tied to this dead dude that's that so she cool. knew for a week in 1918, it just seems it seems so simple to, and you so know basic. A
1: movie has made it work. A movie that's made it work is Titanic. Yeah, it is all about the love of her life. And she still got married and had children and had a career and went on with her life after he died. Yeah. Because that's how life works.
0: (laughs) Right. I mean, I I understand emotionally what this scene is supposed to be doing, um, because one of the things that Gal Gadot does in this movie exceedingly well is sigh. Um, She sighs relentlessly in this film, just disapproving sighs, exasperated sighs, dismissive sighs. It's, It's just... It's like her default mode. It's just, uh, and and so I, I understand she's alone and and she misses Steve. We got the mo- in the photo montage. We saw that she visited the Trevor Ranch and and like got to know his family. She still has his watch, which I'm really not. Sh- he gave it. Well, he gave it to her. That's right. So she still has his watch, and it's it's you know all there and and what have you. Um. But it's just it's so ham fisted and it lacks the complexity of a a character that you would hope would be developed in an individual that is as old and as as theoretically wise as she is, which is another issue I have with Wonder Woman in general is that she's repeatedly shown to not know things and have to be reminded of things by a mortal man. Yeah, as lessons that (laughs) she theoretically would have under she should have that shit on lock at this point. Not to say that she can't have problems, but but she
1: has to explain it to her.
0: I I feel like a lot of DC's problems in general are the fact that their characters, all of them or the major ones of them, are literal gods, and you can't have a movie about a god because gods aren't complicated or interesting.
1: It requires so much humorization of that character to make them a person that is approachable that it removes their godlike status anyway.
0: Right. It just makes them normal, and and it, with Wonder Woman, for me, it just clashes. Especially, it's at least with Superman, you have somebody who was raised by humans, who understands their expectations and how humans interpret the world, and then has made an, a legitimate choice to interface with them and to be one of them
1: and the, on purpose the, right and because he feels it's Calpo necessary the whole thing is Clark Kent and that's a put on i've always yes. liked that you know that's specifically shown as fake he is not right. a country boy he mm-hmm. is not he is not you know living out amongst the cows which is what people think of clark kent right and i was sort of hoping that since they had that real superman vibe maybe we would see a duality to wonder woman but no not really
0: yeah again it's she's just a more complex character than you know clark kent pining for lois lane like yeah. she's she or she has i guess the potential to be like steve if, trevor if can, has always been a part of wonder woman's story right. i don't want to make it seem like they are leaning too much on steve but trevor in how
1: these films, but. cool would it have been to see wonder woman trying to date in the 80s Yeah. And every date being a disappointment because they're not Steve.
0: Right. Exactly. It's not that she's not trying. It's that she keeps trying and then is dissatisfied because there's something missing. And that
1: would kind of work into the do it right the first time thing that came in the flashback at the beginning of the
0: movie. Sure. Or at least being honest to your truth. Right. Like if the truth is that you love Steve Trevor and there will never be anybody else like him again. Then that's fine. That's your truth, but it doesn't mean that you can't try. And we'll get into the relationship stuff because that actually develops when Steve reappears. Yeah. um But Diana is lonely. We're shown that she's lonely in the most sort of ham-fisted mm-hmm. way possible. She even sees a plane in the sky. Oh my god! And stares at the plane, and we're supposed to be like, "Oh, Steve for a second planes.
1: I was like, "What? What?" Right.
0: If you don't remember (laughs) that Steve Trevor was a pilot in 1918 of bi wing planes,
1: (laughs) everything reminds me of him.
0: (laughs) That's right. Everything reminds us of Steve Trevor. And I'm going to remind you to join us again next week for the remainder of our takedown of Wonder Woman 1984, the seeming failure piece in the making. Uh, where we will have another couple hours of discussion focusing on the remainder of the film. So take care, as always. If you need to get a hold of us, you can check us out on Twitter at Theater, and you can email us at gmail at failurepeace at gmail.com. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.